On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with Sailor, and Sailor grew up witnessing the emotional abuse of her mother. It's a story of enmeshment, caretaking, getting your needs met, and resilience. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Sailor. How are you? I'm Brandon. Um, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Um, just excited to have um, this time to just chat. Well, thank you for being here. And if you want to be a guest like Sailor is today, please go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And today there is no content warning for this episode, and you're going to hear Sailor's story, and it is one of a child who witnessed abuse and how they handled it, how they maneuvered through it, the repercussions and all the issues that were created. So big thank you to Sailor for being here with us today, and now I'll get out of my way and your way. Sailor, the floor is now yours. Okay, so before I ever enter the picture, my parents met each other a few years um, before 99, which was the year I was born. Um, My dad is a first-generation American to Colombian parents, and my mom is um, a fully Colombian citizen who had immigrated to um, America when my parents got married. Um, My mom had a rough background. in terms of her family, um, and so did my dad. So it kind of brought this great opportunity for them to get to make a life with each other um, and starting from the ground up. Um, shortly after they got married, they had me and then my brother and then my sister. So I am the oldest of three kids in a hispanic american household um and my dad was also in the military so we had we had that that kind of lifestyle that kind of uh added upon the cultures that um we already had which was being being of a latino heritage and having catholic values um so we weren't people that went to church all the time but those held very strong so growing up, it did look like we didn't have any issues um, to the outside world. Um, but I know that there were issues um, that were happening between my parents. And the earliest that I can remember them having um, arguments and problems was probably the earliest at, um, at age four. And I think... I believed that we were we were fine despite the issues that were happening um, because there was no talk about mental health. There was no talk about 
what abuse looked like. There was no talk about what to do if you recognize if there's something going on that you need to get out of. We always thought of abuse as being physical. And my dad was never a physical, physically abusive person. He was very verbal and very emotionally abusive. Um, and to top it all off, he um, is an alcoholic. Um, and so that definitely exasperated the, uh, the issues and um, nothing really got better. Um, and being the oldest, I felt like there was like a, an unspoken, um, an unspoken like value where we don't talk about these issues outside. We only keep them together because they are they are our business. It's not something anyone should know about because no one wa- no one should know that we're having um, these problems and that we're just fine. Um, so I kept it at that. So I like to believe that there's a lot of internalizing of making sure that everything needed to be perfect, everything needed to be fine, and that if things weren't fine, that you know I fight as much as I can for the child that I was. Um, to defend my mom whenever those um, whenever fights would occur, if he would disrespect her, and then things would calm down, simmer down, and then the cycle would happen again. So, what kind of things are going on as far as abuse goes uh, during this time? So, um, there was no physical abuse um, that was that kind of took the cake and the overall abuse that I witnessed. Um, But there were moments that he would throw things at her. Um, He would verbally berate her. He would get very angry at her and yell at her. And sometimes she would fight back, but sometimes she would just like give up. But in giving up, he would come back to instigate more and fight more. Um, There was, to my knowledge, not not so much financial abuse that it was very obvious, but I do know that it was very advantageous for my, my dad to not have my mom work. He was a stay-at-home mom until I was 13. Um, he didn't like her going to the gym. He didn't like her having a job or having a sense of independence. And this is what she really wanted. I do remember that. And it was just something that she had to fight for. And, and luckily enough, she was able to do so when we moved to this we moved back to the states because we were overseas um at at one point and he um i think his hands were tied in in terms of like um ways of living my mom had to get a job so i think he could he couldn't he had to just let her get the job even though he probably did not want to things usually got very um overwhelmingly verbal and emotional and psychological um when he would come home from work um frustrated and would project that on to her or to me or my siblings and i when you know after witnessing all of these things how did this affect your relationship with both of your parents did you uh, did you try to cater to your dad? Were you caretaking your mom? You know, what was the effect of all this specifically for you? So with my mom, my mom and I were very close. 
Um, and at the time, I thought this was very normal, being very close to the point that we would call each other sisters or cousins or best friends. Um, and I think being the oldest, having witnessed the most, it I felt like this innate responsibility um, to take care of her emotions. Um, looking back as a child and and thinking thinking back, my child self probably felt like the urgency to meet these needs. Um, there was not much um, room for me to maybe express myself in a way that was healthy and maybe to get what I needed from my mom, who is obviously the parent in this. And despite, you know, the, the enmeshed relationship that we had, it was overall the most positive compared to my dad. Uh, my dad and I definitely butt head a lot. Um, I really hated how disrespectful he was. And by the time I was maybe big enough and had enough vocabulary to express that he was being abusive, I would do it. Um, I, I think like probably the most common time that he would act, he would act out and project and be aggressive or saying something really mean was towards my mom. Um, by like, I don't know, there, there are plenty of examples that I can't even think of right now, but I know that when he did it, it would be at the dinner table. And I would say something to the effect like, that's not okay. And of course, in maybe a healthy uh, family dynamic, it, 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 it's expected that someone would say, hey, that's not a really nice thing to say to someone. To hold someone accountable was almost impossible um, growing up. So when I did it, he would blow up and blow up at me, get very angry at me. And then my mom would interject trying to defend me. So a lot of a lot of defense, uh, a lot of defense would happen um, between all three of us. And I always felt like I needed to protect my mom and my siblings um, against my dad whenever we, he would have these heavy moments. Now, when he wasn't having these really bad moments, um, our relationship was pretty decent. Um, I know that he he finds it very important to meet our needs financially. So he felt, I, I believe that because he filled these needs, there was not much else that he could grow off um, from, like being emotionally um, available and opening up and listening to his kids whenever they thought that he was being hurtful. Um, so it's a really complicated relationship that I have with him. It was definitely very, very, very hard, um, for me to think between the lines. It was very black and white. Most of the time I thought of him as a very, like, like he was kind of like the antagonist of the story. So I was always on guard, on edge, vigilant with him. And when it comes to the relationship with your mom, you use the word enmeshment. Can you kind of go a little bit further on, you know, how deep that enmeshment went? Oh, well, I guess with the enmeshment aspect, I didn't know this term until after um, I graduated um, undergrad that it was, it was so, it was 
very deep to the point that adults surrounding adults, like, you know, her friends or his friends or family members, or just even adults when I was not, when I didn't have my parents with me, like I was in school, I would get a lot of compliments that I was very mature for my age. So think of me as 10 years old and they're like, wow, I can talk to you a lot better than I can talk to someone that's my age. Um, And I always took it as a compliment, um, which probably enabled more of this normalization of a dynamic that definitely wasn't healthy. Um, It was deep to the point that I felt like it was necessary for me to boss my siblings around and tell them what to do. And sometimes it was probably because I didn't want my parents to come home very upset if the house wasn't clean, if our rooms weren't organized, if something that wasn't done because my siblings just didn't did it didn't do it um, would cause us to deal with another outburst deep enough that it caused a rift between my siblings, I think, um, that I can think of. And, and not in the sense that we didn't talk to each other anymore, but um, it's something that I'm working on right now to repair my relationship with them, um, to be a sister and not some some bossy, you know, parent to them. Um, so it's something that I'm still working on and I'm only 24. So it was definitely entrenched in me for sure. So to get back to the linear part of your story, uh, growing up witnessing abuse at the age of six, your parents were possibly going to be splitting. So how did your parents' relationship progress and devolve from there? And how are you reacting to everything? Yeah, so I think there were many moments um, that came with the cycle of outbursts or disrespect or infidelity um, that my mom was very well aware that she did not need to be in that in that situation. She no longer wanted to be in that situation. But of course, um, cycles of abuse are very complicated that unification happens things are fine again and we kind of forget that there are moments of disrespect. Um, so the first instances of this uh, was when I was six that I wrote to you about. Um, it's one of my earliest memories of her saying to my dad or maybe speaking to someone on the phone ranting about this that she wanted to leave. She wanted to, um, she wanted to leave because she was very depressed that she had three kids and there was just a lot of this stuff happening and I knew when I overheard that that okay what six-year-old wants to uh what what six-year-old thinks this means well because I had that urge of responsibility I went to my room and started packing my things I started packing my toys I put them in a bag I put I, I pulled apart my little Barbie Barbie house that I got for Christmas um the previous year just kind of getting all my stuff ready to go because she said that she was leaving and I thought she was being serious about it um which I know she definitely was but obviously the 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 delivery of money belief did not happen then I remember her coming into my room saying that all my toys were kind of disheveled and I 
was, you know, happy. Um, and she got upset with me. She, she said, what are you doing? And I think I did try to explain to her the best that I could at, at six that, you know, that I'm preparing to leave with, with her. And that kind of solidified, you know, the aspect that I was always going to be on her side, on her side, no matter what. And she didn't leave him, but I knew that I would always hear her and what she had to say, even if she didn't deliver, she didn't do it, but I would be there regardless um, if she meant what she meant about leaving or not, or finding a plan to get out. I don't think I really took it personally or took it really um or devastatingly to the point that like I wanted to leave or run away but I do know that a majority of the time that I was around um my family up until the point I went to college I just kind of let it happen I I felt like I just let it happen because had I asked for had I asked for them to get better to work things out whatever, I probably would have been dismissed or yelled at. Um, and I think it, it just kind of goes back to that, you know, that cycle of abuse where it was just very normalized that if she continuously said that she needed to leave, it was, I don't know if it was hearsay. Sometimes I took it seriously, but then when nothing happened, a few days happened, I'm like, okay, well, she's not leaving. It was kind of like this, uh, unofficial verification that she was not going to leave and I was just going to move forward with my life and prepare for what would happen next um but I knew that um getting older it was to the point that he would be very aggressive even when family came to visit us um and I think I really wanted at that point I'm like he needs he needs to go or we or you need to leave him because this is causing you so much pain and this has been going on for so long um and this is not even the worst that he's done versus like versus previous instances where he was unfaithful and you stayed like there's so much that cannot be salvaged and you need to leave and I did that for her. I think I was just so concerned about her. I don't realize now as a 24 year old, looking back to myself as 16 and, uh, and I really didn't think about how it it would affect me. It's just like, I just want her to be happy. I want her to be happy, her to be happy. And not so much. I want to be at peace. Um, and it's only after I go to college and I'm like, I need to be at peace with all of this, with all of this drama, with all of the chaos, with all of the trauma that I went through. But as a child, I really, really thought about her and only her and wanting nothing but happiness for her. That's for certain. So I, I don't, I think I just kind of kept myself in limbo with how I felt because I was so worried about how she felt. So at this point, you seem to be this caretaker of the household. 
especially of your mom's feelings. You're always concerned about how your mom is feeling and you're not taking care of your own feelings. But also that need isn't being met by the adults in your life here either. So like a role reversal, there's this just enmeshment going on. But eventually you'll get a chance to address these things because your dad eventually does leave, which will lead to therapy. But first tell us about your dad leaving and why he left. He leaves. And then we're just kind of there to pick up pieces after he leaves. And it was, it gave my mom, my mom the opportunity to gain strength and mentally realize that this relationship is not something to salvage. My dad, as I've mentioned a few times, he's an unfaithful person. Um, without that moral compass and without that moral compass and my mom being that moral compass, uh, it was very easy for him to get away with things and being unfaithful and drinking and doing things, you know, like, you know, that were at the expense of my feelings, my siblings, my mom's, so he could have fun and just feel a sense of glory because he is, I like to think that he's like stuck within his own ways and cannot seem to figure out what is causing him to be very egotistical about all of this. Um, So I think he felt brave enough or felt entitled to say, I really don't want to be with you anymore. Um, And that was that they separated and I tried to talk to him like why did you leave like we're literally here and you're there and not, not trying to you know try to pick the pick up the pieces and putting them together with us and he said I really just don't think my uh your mom and I can continue this relationship anymore I'll just visit for like big events like graduation birth like not even birthdays, like graduation, maybe holidays and stuff. But that indicated that he was just, he was, he was gone. He didn't want to come back and take responsibility for causing that harm or trying to make things work with the family. Um, and while he was gone, having fun, however he was living his life, um, all of us had to kind of pick up the pieces. Uh, my mom was definitely shattered. Um, it was over 20 years of her life spent with my father. Um, a whole life together, all these experiences, good and bad. Um, seeing her in so much pain, seeing my sister in so much pain, seeing my brother in so much pain. Um, I was also in a lot of pain too um, with in the sense that, like, I'm really just trying to feel like a normal college student, but I feel like I'm back into this. Um, and, and it's just like, there's like no way out. I think we were all just kind of like, we were all grieving. And my mom's parents had, um, had passed, yeah, not like maybe a few months prior, both of them within like a month. So my mom was grieving the death of her parents and the death of her marriage, essentially, um, all in one. And I knew that I just needed to be there for her. And I was very, very grateful that I had nothing to do that summer in between um, my fr- my freshman year into my sophomore year, that I was just there with her um, 
So yeah, that was definitely a quite uh, a very a shell shocking experience. But I do think, in hindsight, was such a blessing in disguise. So eventually, you all went to therapy together. So tell us about this. Yeah. So, um. I did talk to you previous about like how this period of where my parents had separated, we all collectively uh, went to um, see a psychiatrist and and would branch off getting like therapy separately. Um, I did go to therapy um, before my parents had split actually, but I think my mom felt like it was necessary to kind of put me to therapy because she noticed that I was, probably interjecting a little bit in between the outbursts that my dad would have or just episodes that just weren't good. But but I think this instance where my parents were not together, they um not together and separated and dealing with this grieving process, um it really was like kind of an eye opener, at least for myself, that holy crap, this psychiatrist is telling me I have PTSD. (laughs) Um, To my understanding, it's PTSD, where it was just chronic. It was just so much stress that a person can go through in, um, in, you know, a short life lifespan. At that point, I was only 18. And to think of my siblings having the same diagnosis, um, I was also diagnosed with panic disorder. There was a lot lot of um, times where I probably did not know how to regulate my emotions when something triggering would occur and it would put me into a state of panic. Um, I couldn't breathe. Sometimes I would have to, I would have to try and do grounding techniques, but that wasn't even good enough at that point. Tunnel vision, um, my fingers would feel so flighty. Um, But when putting the word to it by the psychiatrist, it was like, whoa, this is insane. Like, this is stuff that you see in the movies. I didn't think that this would happen to me. And this is not something that I expected to have. Um, And I know that at the end, when we probably got like a general idea of what what our diagnoses are, our diagnoses are, and what kind of medication that we were prescribed, all that, all that jazz. Um, talking to my mom about it, it made her even more upset. Um, I think because it's just accepting that, dang, all of this, all of this, you know, all of this chaos and all of this pain is what led to this, you know, this consequence that all of us had to deal with, you know, disorders and have to go to therapy and have to put a lot of time to try and heal ourselves. Um, and it was definitely a very bumpy ride in the beginning, but I do notice how much better our lives have been since my dad left. I mean, he was a a very, the main source of our stress and our triggers, but also the therapy has helped a lot for my sister. Um, it's helped my brother and, um, and my mother too. I was on and off with therapy because college was just like wonky in terms of insurance. But I did go whenever I felt like it was absolutely necessary to. I never felt shameful to ask for therapy. 
I became very, very self-aware about my behaviors and my actions, very self-conscious um, about how how the things that I, you know, how I behave can affect someone negatively or positively. And, um, and with that, um, I learned in therapy and with my own, um, self-reflection, mindfulness and meditations, um, that the word resilience, (laughs) I want to, I like to consider it as something that we should look at as a neutral term, not so much negative or positive there's no spectrum i like to think of it as neutral um growing up yes you were aware that there was a lot of like bad things happening but i would just hear the words like from my mom and maybe other people that kind of had an idea of what was going on you are resilient you're strong there's nothing that you can't handle all like um all of these things and you know it definitely kept me going having resilience is it has has been very helpful in the sense that it helped me overcome a lot of adversity that I am a very healthy person now but I am in a point where I'm trying to get my master's degree in social work I'm at the point where I want to help other people their uh, concerns with their mental health and how how systemic how systemically that's affected so many people in our society um, utilizing resilience, um, is, can be, utilizing the idea of resilience can be bad because it's almost destructive. It really pushes us away from doing the work that can help someone have a climb the system. Just constantly, well, that child is resilient good for them you know they're not gonna get they're not going to deal with you know these issues with drugs or they're going they're not going to put themselves into impulsive like situations and and there's a lot of generalization of that and like well at least the child is strong like no child should ever be expected to be strong a child should be raised in a healthy environment by healthy parents or healthy caregivers Resilience is only a coping mechanism, I think. It's a very it's a very complicated version of a coping mechanism in my eyes. And to think all these little kids that I'm working with right now saying like, well, they're very resilient. At least they can deal with it. No, I don't want that to enable me into thinking, well, it's just fine. I can move on to the next. No. I'm dedicating my time to help them learn the skills to help calm their nervous system, helping them emotionally regulate, helping them not have to deal with stress to to the point that it's toxic. Because putting a person in very toxic situations and knowing that they're resilient is just going to make them more sick, not just mentally, but also physically, also like socially. There's a lot of aspects that if your mental health is not is not well, it affects every aspect of your health. Um, and I stress this so much um, to people that do say, well, at least they're like really strong. You know, I don't know what I would have done if I am like, well, that's totally fine. Those are very separate things. But it's really just a matter of 
holding people accountable and having these conversations that are vulnerable um, so that it could help us raise, you know, the upcoming generations um, to be better people. Um, I first heard the phrase that resilience is not something you want to glorify or romanticize in children. Um, when I was, I think, a junior in college, and that really shifted how I perceived my own experiences and how I and how I tried to heal now, as well as other people that are potentially going through the same things, or if not other forms of adversity that are um, that they're just trying to figure out how to, you know, tackle through. Um, I think. One more thing I do want to like discuss is the fact that I am probably the healthiest that I've ever been in in all facets of my life. Um, and I couldn't be more grateful for the things that have put me in this position. I am grateful that despite everything that happened to me, that there was, you know, that there was money that could help us, you know, live in a home, put clothes on my back, feed me. My needs were met in many aspects. There were, there were, there, but there were other things like, you know, the emotional and the psychological aspects that were not really met that I am working on now. Um, but I know that I and other people that I am close with that have gone through similar experiences can serve as an example of the fact that there is hope, even though there are moments where it feels like absolutely not. Nothing feels like things can get better from here, but they do. Um, I think with everything that I experienced, in growing up as a young adult, trying to put together a lifestyle that was calm and not chaotic was so, it's absolutely difficult. I still experience moments where I'm triggered. Sometimes I have outbursts. Sometimes I have panic attacks. Um, but it really is a matter of how I and how I have those moments point that it doesn't hurt other people hurt people hurt people my dad is a very hard person he hurt me he hurt my siblings he hurt my mom and has hurt so many other people and he doesn't recognize that what he is doing is hurtful and he continues to hurt my mom and i are, are, are in agreement that we can have our moments that are valid that if we have a very we have like a that's not a, that does not that the situation does not look good on that person i'm gonna validate that those experiences are because i grew up literally experiencing and witnessing domestic violence but that does not give me the right to hurt other people and that has given me so much peace that i'm a highly accountable person and a highly responsible person um and and I think it helps to communicate my needs to practice these things that I haven't been able to do when I was a kid. Um, but like most importantly, that it's very possible to reach this space where I can have healthy relationships with other people and know who is 
accepted in my circle of people that I want to have around me to support me whenever I am not strong at some point. Because I'm human, I'm not perfect. And to your fellow children of domestic violence and to um, the parents who are enduring domestic violence, um, what do you have to say to them before we leave today? To the little kids, I guess, maybe. To the, to the kids now and to the adults that were those kids, uh, we probably know this, but if you don't, what is happening is not your fault. If you're feeling upset that you're not getting the attention from your parents that you need or not getting something that you need from your parents, it's not your fault. Um, you, you deserve better. And if you don't know that, I'm going to say it again, you deserve better. And I wish nothing but constant self-esteem empowerment, um, in regards to that. To the parents, I guess I'm a very compassionate person and I know a lot of people have different ways to encounter this kind of um this kind of experience the situation is a lot a lot more complicated than people on the outside don't um don't really think of it especially if they have never experienced it um it's normal to feel guilty it's normal to feel shameful um and it's highly recommended that if you feel comfortable enough to do so that you talk to your kids about this ask them how they felt about this entire situation that you guys went through or are going through what their opinions are what their needs what la- what needs they're lacking um obviously don't do it all in like in one go but little by little ask these questions that are really hard to ask and see how how they feel. Um, and then from there, you can come up with a plan and onward in what decision you ever decide to make. I respect it. Um, I know that we all want to think like, once someone disrespects you, it's over, I'm leaving. But obviously, it's not that easy. And that I give a lot of passion for. So and that's what I, and I think that's the best way that I could put an end to that. Well, Sailor, I really want to thank you for being our guest today, sharing your story, sharing your perspective and your experience of what it's like to be a child in in these relationships and, you know, seeing your point of view uh, and listening to you today. I know a lot, it's going to help a lot of people and help maneuver uh, people. It might not be today or tomorrow, but you know, your words today, I know are going to help so many people, you know, start to give them uh, movement. And that is what is important. So a really big thank you uh, for being here today with us, uh, being here with us today. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to come in. 
Well, thank you once again for being here with us today. And for everyone out there who is listening and you want to help our show, we have a survey that we would like you to take so we can get to know you better. And you have been hearing advertising on our show, but we want to be able to get the best advertisers for you, people that actually have things that you need, how we can help survivors. We want to get really the perfect fit for advertising. So we're leaving a link in our show notes. If you want to help us out by filling out our survey, it would help us out a lot by doing so. So thank you in advance for doing that. And if you want to be a guest on our show, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And if you are someone that needs support, we at NarcissistApocalypse.com have a support group. So at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, you'll see a support group button. And when you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And inside, you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We also have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. And you can validate other survivors just like you as well by posting and validating their needs on their posts. So it's a wonderful group of people on there. You can share your experiences and make friends as well. It's a great group of people in our support group. So if you need support, join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you are dealing with. They have every phone number and email address and every web address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small the town you're in. DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource and a wonderful organization. So if you need extra support, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. And we here at Narcissist Apocalypse have a new friend to the show, and it is an organization called Shelter Movers, which you can reach at sheltermovers.com. And Shelter Movers helps survivors of domestic violence transition to a better and safer life. And they are currently just a Canadian company, but they're looking to be spreading into the United States. It's a volunteer organization and a donor-supported charitable organization as well. And what they do is they help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of domestic violence. And it's an interesting part of the domestic violence escape process. And they help get you to safety by getting things out of your home and setting things up into storage. All of your belongings are put in storage. And they can even do this for your pets and livestock as well. It's a wonderful organization. So if you need help from them or you just want to donate to them, please go to sheltermovers.com and check them out. And that is it for today's show. So for myself and Sailor, we hope... You have a good night.